Welcome to Jaffa's Space, a podcast about the world of Jewish outdoor food, farming, and environmental education, also known as Jaffe. I'm Yoshi Silverstein. And I'm Hannah Henza. Together, we are the Jaffe program team at Chazon, the Jewish Lab for Sustainability. Jaffe is a catch-all term shared by many to describe educational experiences that connect people to Judaism, community, and the natural world through hands-on, thoughtful, and engaging Jewish content across different ages, backgrounds, and religious approaches. It's a growing movement with people, programs, and organizations throughout North America who are doing some pretty incredible things. Join us as we get to know the people behind this work, learn what Jaffe looks like on the ground, and get the inside scoop on the challenges, obstacles, and moments of serendipity that have shaped today's Jaffe landscape. Ready to go? Grab your shovel, your rake, or whatever your tool of choice, and let's dig in. in. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Jaffa Space. We've got Yoshi and Hannah here from the Hazon Jaffe team, and we are delighted to welcome Rachel Binstock and Ari Eisen from Urban Adama. Say hello, y'all. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, y'all. Rachel is Young Adult Programs and Fellowship Director. Ari is Public Programs and Retreat Center Director. We'll hear more from both of them about what those roles are and what they do at Urban Adama. But first we want to tell you a few things. First, that Rachel was a Cohort 1 Jaffe Fellow, and that both Rachel and Ari are current members of the Jaffe Leaders Institute cohort, and we, uh, Hannah and I, have been delighted to get to spend time in all sorts of different ways with these two. So Urban Adama's mission is to is that they seek to build a more loving, just, and sustainable world They ground and connect people to themselves, to others, and to the natural world. They do this by providing farm-based community building experiences that integrate Jewish tradition, mindfulness, sustainable agriculture, and social action. Rachel and Ari, so great to have you on. Uh, Let's start off by just telling us more about what Urban Adama is and what y'all do. Great. So, um, you know, so, a lot of people ask, like, so are you a farm? Are you a JCC? Like, what, what, are, what is the difference between those? And I would say that we are both, we are a farm, and, and we're a farm community center. Um, so we invite people here both to learn about urban farming and sustainable urban agriculture and to connect with other people to form a Jewish community. So my role as public programs and retreat center director is a really people forward job. We host about 10 public programs and one retreat a month for people to come here and and learn and to celebrate Jewish holidays, build new skills, and connect with other people in the Bay Area. And I'd say that the other piece of our work is transformational experiences. So both Ari and I run overnight and sometimes week or month long programs where people come to ask big questions, slow down, take some space, and connect in with themselves and with the earth and in community and so we do that through retreats through our fellowship programs 
through our new alternative spring break program that we've been doing every spring. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the way for me to paint a picture of our mission to make it more concrete is through the program, our free farm stand. So all of the produce that we grow on the two acres at Urban Adama is given away for 90% of that produce is given away for free once a week at a farm stand. So we're really trying to build community in the like recurring people that come to that farm stand. We offer them a lot of other services besides food. It's really a community space and we're modeling like the radical act of growing food in a sustainable way and then giving it away. Yeah, I love the, I love that sort of hybrid concept of, yeah, it's a farm. Yeah, it's kind of a JCC, right? It's got a little bit of all of those things. In the Jaffe world, we're seeing a number of JCCs and similar Jewish communal organizations around the country who are bringing the work of Jaffe and particularly sort of farming garden-based Jewish education to their sites uh, for all sorts of different reasons. Urban Anima kind of did the opposite in a sense. Y'all sort of said, let's build a farm, right? And then the rest will sort of be built around that. Do you feel like that's a fitting description of sort of how that all came to be? And does that feel important to sort of the, the ethos of how things are built and centered for Urban Anima? I would say that at least my entry point to Urban Adama was, you know, I came at it from like an environmental justice desire to engage with environmental justice work. And I think what makes us unique is that there are all these preconceived notions in the mainstream Jewish community about what a JCC is, right? And where a lot of my peers are feeling like they need a new pathway into Judaism. So I think that in, in building the farm first, it attracted a bunch of Jews who are interested in this environmental work and have who had a desire to reconnect with Judaism and created this new concept that wasn't wasn't a preconceived notion of what the Judaism would be. It was a creation of something new. Yeah, it was very much emergent. And we also see all different kinds of people reaching out to Urban Adama because a lots of lots of people who don't who don't find home in the Jewish community anywhere else and the the requests are actually really standard traditional requests. I had a woman once come to the farm wanting to grieve her the the yurtside of her mother and she was not connected to a synagogue but for some reason she felt called to come here and it wasn't in my job but I took 15 minutes to sit with her by an apple tree and light a candle and share some stories about her mother and I mean that's not obviously any formal part of what we do but what we're seeing is that Lots of people are are feeling connected to this place for whatever reason. I think a lot of a lot of it has to do with the way that we defy the bounds of what a traditional Jewish institution looks like, and and they're coming here to do really really traditional things, um, but but they are inspired and um, and new in the way that we are able to to hold people, meet them where they're at, um, and yeah, and and Azari shared really really making things relevant to the the real the real truths and tragedies of our time. That's so interesting that the way that this became a sort of a platform or a catalyst for identifying people's community needs. I love that um, story of, of, of yeah, women in need who, who needed community to observe this yard site, right? And I think that's sort of um, cuts to the, to the center of what Jewish community is about, right? Obviously, another huge piece of that is we all need to eat food. And so as you said, growing food is a huge part of the mission of the work that you do. And this thread of not only growing food, but providing it 
free of charge for those who are in need is something that's that's come up multiple times with a lot of the different Javi sites. So for Urban Anima, sort of how do you frame that? What are some of the you know traditions or the origins of that practice? And why is that an important core part of the work that you all are doing? Great. Love that question. And it's a question that we ask our summer campers and our fellows and our retreat guests to, to start the conversation about why we exist and why we've made the choices that we have as an organization. The core of the Jewish value um, at the center of our decision to give all the food away really comes from Pe'a, um, the Jewish agricultural law that says to leave the corners of your field for those who don't have access or are in need. And Rambam has a beautiful interpretation of Pe'a that there is no measure of Pe'a. It's the, in relationship to the need in the community. His answer to what is a corner, he says it's relative. So we like to say that here on this farm, we do 90% um, and we flip the script of giving 10% of your tithings and we flip it to 90% because there's a lot of need. And so we have that conversations with our little ones and they really get it because especially in the Bay area, we see people experiencing homelessness in a, in a big way. And, and if you're little and you're walking around here, you're seeing people living on the edges and trying to figure out what it looks like to have a, a well and healthy life and, and to really struggle getting, getting that. So you have folks come to the farm for lots of different reasons and from lots of different backgrounds. It sounds like school kids and, and community members and, and folks you've never met before and folks just trying to connect and find community. But I think what's one of the really special things about this Joppy space is, is what brings individuals into the work to make this your actual, you know, your vocation, your, your day-to-day life. So or you said a little bit about your, your motivations for kind of seeking out Urban Adama, but I would love to just hear from both of you about, you know, what brought you to this place and, and really why do you stay? What, how, what makes you feel grounded in, in the work that you're doing? Because we all know that to make our passion into our work can sometimes be a little bit much to, to balance. Yeah, so I would say that I grew up in a really, in a conservative Jewish um, home where I went to Jewish day school and summer camp every summer. And it, it was kind of the Judaism that was given to me. And I really enjoyed it growing up. And it didn't 100% resonate with me. And because it was given, I, I had this like resentment towards it. I wanted to, I wanted it to be mine and my choice. And I think that the the thread that was really, really meaningful to me was the ability to be outside and any prayer that I was able to do outside. And um, when I was in college, I, I studied environmental science and I kind of had this like urban farming moment when I was living in Vancouver. And when I moved back home, I saw a poster for Urban Adama and I was like, oh, this sounds cool. This sounds like something I get on board with. And so when I moved to California to do the fellowship, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just kind of knew that I'd be outside and I'd be doing some Jewish work. And I think ultimately what, what hooked me and what continues to hook me every moment of every day is that I, I just feel like I am met where I am 
right? In, in the moment, like inviting myself to connect to my breath and to create the Judaism that I want to see is what ultimately keeps me here. That the connections between Judaism and the earth are present in all of the work that I do, even when I'm setting up tables and chairs for an event, that I can breathe the air of our farm, that I can listen to the sounds of our chickens. That to me, that connection is what keeps me here. So I think ultimately, I, I, I love the, the foundation that I have from my upbringing. And I think the Jewish knowledge has um, enabled me to be an educator here and to be a, a program leader. But the reframe of the connection between Judaism, the earth, social action and mindfulness has like opened up my world and allowed me to, to like choose again that I want to engage with being Jewish. I love that discernment, that wisdom between the Judaism that was given to you and the Judaism that you've chosen. Mm -hmm. I think so often, you know, we, we kind of get in this rut of like, yeah, I resent, I resent every, everything about the way that I grew up, but to be able to actually step back and say with a great deal of grace, you know, that, that it really is a gift. The, the experiences that we have growing up are given to us, but it's really how we choose to live our our lives as adults that really sort of creates that impact. That's really beautiful. Totally. Thanks for reflecting that back to me. I uh, have a similar and, and different story to Ari. I was raised at the intersection of orthodox and, and irreverence, uh, I like to say. And I was also given the gift of access and, and literacy in a, in a Jewish way. Um, I actually opted in to go to a Jewish high school because I loved studying Talmud and, and Tanakh. And I think that I actually don't feel like my Judaism today is that much different than it, the way I felt inspired and connected to it as a young person. Um, but I did have a moment um, in college after I left home that I, I really rejected the chauvinism and the, the kind of um, the injustice that I saw in the community that I grew up in. And became very politicized and also found my way to farming in college. And really as, a, as I was be becoming awake to, to politics, found my people in college through the farm and through activism and under, started up to understand and I, as I was farming in college that it wasn't just a political statement, but it, it actually also met me spiritually. And there's like many, parts of the story that I could tell, but I'll just say that I became a political organizer after college, really wanting to fight against big ag and big pharma and big banks and big money. And I got super burnt out trying to fight against the, the evils that I, that I saw in the world. And something shifted for me and I decided to join Eden Village Camp as a farm apprentice because I really wanted to build the world instead of fight against it. So I went there and, and that's really how I started integrating farming and, and Judaism. Although I think I always understood as a young person that Judaism was connected to the earth. Sukkot was always my favorite holiday and I loved sleeping out in the sukkah and cutting down schach and putting it up on top. And food was always such a part of my home experience. And yeah, I think... I, I really like appreciated rain. I, I really understood the um, the shifting of time and the importance of rain within the prayer service. So there were ways in which I was always aware that Judaism was deeply connected. Of course, the moon and the cycles of the new month always caught my imagination. But 
it wasn't until I really started farming that I felt like I could, I could be truer and more authentic about the way those connections met. And I really came to Urban Adama because I was ready to remarry the justice piece back into my farming work. So I came here as a garden educator working with our, our, our youth and family programs and got to bring in Oakland Unified School District for free programming. We got an amazing grant to bring in lots of different school groups to, to run free programs. And we still run that program and I got to come in and really build that. Um, and the work has evolved for me. I think I'm, I'm, I came in really wanting to, to work with, with youth and in becoming connected to the earth. And I think I've evolved into working with young adults because I actually feel really passionately about helping them access the kind of Judaism that they want to access, similar to what Ari shared. I think a lot of young people are really hungry, are really hungry for, for soul and for spirituality. And it's, it's pretty clear that, it, that that's lacking for them. And we get to create a space where they get to opt into that and it can be on their own terms and they get to be the creators of that experience. And it, as part of the fellowship, they get to design their own experiences for each other. So like Tisha B'Av is coming up and the fellows will be designing their own grief ritual, which I'm so excited to help support them in, in designing. So just one, one example of the way that, that young people get to step into their own um, designing of their Jewish meaning. I love that you both just very organically sort of wove your past into your present and, and really sort of laid that foundational tapestry for your work. But I would love to just hear a little bit about what you each do or are responsible for on a day-to-day basis, because it sounds like you, you both have pretty different responsibilities. Rachel, you're over the fellowship and Ari, you're over public programs and retreat center. And I know the retreat center is pretty new for you for Urban Adama. So what has it been like with that expansion? And what is your what does your role actually look like as you think about not not just the context, but like the actual the the content of of what we're what you're doing and and, and what you're creating? Totally. It's interesting you ask that because you know something I was thinking of just adding to what Rachel was going to say is that one of the reasons that I stick around is because of the mentorship and collaboration that I get to do with staff members, with fellows. You know, I I was a fellow four years ago, and I just feel like I've kind of been invested in. Like people have been watering me and giving me sun and soil and compost. Like for the past four years, Rachel is a mentor of mine. Like seriously, helped me grow as a youth educator and now as a program director. And so I think that Rachel and I have different job titles and we work together a lot. I I am very grateful to sit five feet away from her, but also like get to do a lot of work together. So, you know, and and I've seen that as part of our Jaffe Leaders Institute and just with the Jaffe cohorts as well. There is just a lot of peer mentorship and and collaboration that gets to happen. We do a good job of not totally reinventing the wheel with every program across the country. So I think that that's another reason I stick around. But in terms of my day-to-day job, so as I mentioned, Urban Adama runs like 10 public programs a month. These are usually one-offs, a couple hours, anything from you know our monthly Kabbalat Shabbat service to a carpentry workshop, an herbal medicine class, a, a tot Shabbat or a little sprouts volunteer days. And I've been doing that for about 
two and a half, two years now um, running those public programs. And I, I love the creativity that's involved in doing that, getting to come up with a new program or making an addition, like adding a, a dance workshop before Kabbalah Shabbat is something that we recently did. So there's a lot of like creativity that gets to happen there, but also a lot of power in having regular offerings for our community members. And that's been really special for me. And, you know, this new portion of my job, this retreat center has yet again given me another opportunity to grow in a way that I was not anticipating when I came on board. We we opened, we call it version one of our retreat center. So we built a three-story house on site that where our fellows live from, from the beginning of June to the end of November. And then in the off season of the fellowship from, you know, December 1st to the beginning of June, we're running retreats and alternative spring breaks. And, you know, I think that we do our best work here at Urban Adama when we get people for more than just a few hours, right? To create a Shabbat experience over a weekend that also invites people to learn how to make a basket and then get their hands in the soil is way different than coming for a few hours, both because of the actual skills that they're able to learn in that extended period of time and the connections they're able to make with more people. So it's really exciting. I, I feel like I've, you know, I, I've been lighting up about the content and the like the programmatic side of it and also the like logistics and operation side of the retreat center, which is really something that caught me off guard and something that I've just loved thinking about um, everything from staffing to budgeting to marketing. It's really been a, a, a really cool experience for me. So happy to answer any more specific questions about that, but that's kind of like the overall. Oh, and I'll say that, um, version two of the retreat center, which is going to be our permanent home, that building is, um, we're starting construction on it September 1st, and that will be a 50 bed retreat center that operates all year round. Um, whereas the fellow's house is only half of the year. It's true. Sorry, before, before you go on, Rachel, it's true. It's really funny when we were planning Joffy Network Gathering and, and you were doing a big day, a big experience on August 30th like the day before you like start construction, we were talking to Adam and he was like, Oh, this will be great. Like, Oh wait, <laughs> we have to do it before construction starts. We have to, <laughs> we have to get that in. And yeah. it's true that like when we come and visit, we'll be seeing one stepping stone in this sort of transformational process of, of your site. And, and we'll all have to just kind of envision what it'll, yeah. what it'll be like. Yeah. And the last thing I'll add before Rachel talks a little bit about her role is that, you know, I think in terms of our mission, um, the retreat center is just going to allow us to kind of take off in a way that we haven't seen yet at Urban Adama. Another cool component of it is, um, which is that people are renting the farm for their bar mitzvahs and weddings. And then they're able to fly in their out of town guests to sleep on site in these buildings. And it's really cool. Like, you know, you offer a bar mitzvah and you get a 7 a.m. goat milking lesson for your grandparents who are coming in from New York. So I think it's like a very unique offering that's just sprouting up. The, the ideas come to us. They're like endless what we can provide people when you get to be here for an immersive experience. And can I ask real quick, the, um, I remember right when Urban Anima was first founded and it was, you know, I mean, Adam, of course, tells the whole story of having this sort of temporary, almost like the, <laughs> it's almost like the, uh, the farm version of sukkah, right, of this like temporary status that like could be up and, you know, and, and of course, all the things of, oh, we'll just have 
planting beds that can be picked up and moved, which was actually logistically not so easy, right? But <laughs> the idea of that this was sort of a, yeah, like a, an impermanence to, to, that, to that connection. And then ultimately moving to the site where y'all are at. The question I'm wondering is to what extent the, this vision that is very much in the process of manifesting now of having the retreat center, having the overnight accommodations and the way that that allows for the programming that you were just talking about, was that part of the vision from the earliest days? Or is that something that sort of emerged out of out of, you know several years of just seeing what what the program you know and the different opportunities that that would create? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I I, I don't think Adam came in thinking I'm gonna start a retreat center farm. I think that he definitely has that background and experience from uh, managing Isabella Friedman, and I know that it's twofold. So I know that Adam is excited about designing and developing. Um, an enterprise that can be self-sufficient somewhat. So that's a really great piece of what allows us to do all the other work that we do because we can, we can charge for those programs and, and we can offer really meaningful programs and also um, be able to support ourselves a little bit more, right? Because part, part of the system that we're all stuck in in this industrial nonprofit world is like searching and seeking funding and meeting the needs of donors and when we can be a little bit more self-sufficient and anchored down into what we're about and offer from that place and charge for that from that place um, it just creates a different reality um, and the other piece is that we as a staff for many years now this is um, this is my fourth year at Urban Anima, I think Ari's third um, we're we've been saying for a long time like we need more time with people like we're not we're not we're, we're not like satisfied and satiated as program mentors with the two hour program and, and that there's a lot of power in that, but it's like, it has to be the first touch of many to really create, create transformative experiences. So I think Adam really heard that and has been able to figure out a way to do, to bring the financial piece and the, the programmatic impact piece together. Nice. Yeah. I think in, sometimes when I'm thinking about this question that is, something on the minds of a lot of folks in the Jaffe world is how do you grow, go from the equivalent of, if you think about annual agriculture and sort of the programs and the experiences that are sort of like a lot of investment for just like a one-time bloom, right? Um, to a perennial just community, right? Where it's sort of, yes, like there is obviously support and resources and all sorts of work that goes into cultivating it, but the sort of ecosystem that that develops is just of a lo longer term just richer, more complex, dynamic nature. And so I think this is getting in, into that. Speaking of longer term, more intricate, complex programs, Rachel, tell us more about your day-to-day -day role uh, running the Urban Anima Fellowship and the various other things that you do. Yeah. Um, I run a couple programs at Urban Anima. We have our, our three-month-long fellowship, which I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of or know somebody who's done it. It is three months residential deep dive into Jewish spirituality and sustainable urban agriculture. Folks are building intentional community. They are cooking for each other. They are caring for each other. They are doing a, a whole, a whole exploration of an anti-oppression framework and also volunteering out in the community every Thursday at different food justice nonprofits, learning a little bit about what it looks like to show up 
as a white person being without an agenda and in service to communities we want to be in support of and also exploring identities and being socialized and privileges we carry and oppression we carry. One of my favorite parts of the fellowship um, right now is this new curriculum that I've been developing um, in, in partnership with Ben the Ark, a woman there named Carrie who runs the Jeremiah Fellowship and I have been jamming out on, on anti-Semitism. We're seeing a real rise of anti-Semitism in our world today and we get to talk about it in the fellowship and we get to ask the question when we get used as a pawn as Jews, what do we want to do about it? And how do we want to raise our voices and call our, our allies in, in, into the conversation? So um, I'm actually really excited about bringing Carrie to the Jaffe Network Gathering. We'll be holding a session on exactly that, a similar but a, an abbreviated version of what we do with our Young Adult Fellows. And um, yeah, so anyway, there's lots to say about the fellowship and I'll just add that the other piece of what we do in the fellowship is, is a leadership development curriculum. So we teach about nonviolent communication and we really ask fellows to, to use that in moments of conflict. The, the amazing thing about a two-hour program is you're probably not going to be met with, with deep conflict, but when you bring people together in such immersive experiences and people come from different backgrounds and have different life experiences, there's, there's bound to be some conflict. And so I think one of, the, one of the biggest and best things that we get to do in the fellowship is resource people with one of many tools. This, this is the tool that we've chosen, nonviolent communication, and we help, we help them learn a little bit about how to talk to somebody else and share with somebody else about feelings and needs that they're having in a way that allows them to be received. So, and, and, and with language that isn't charged or, or full of judgment when it lands um, in the other person's ears and mind and heart. So yes, so that's the fellowship. We also um, run a residency. So part of the blessing of having this new gorgeous residence on site is that we have these auxiliary units, a two person, a three person and a one person suite. And we got to design this new program that Ari and I, it's a little bit of a hybrid for Ari and I, where residents live on site. Like, like a Moisha house, they run once a month peer led programs. And they also do a work trade for site rentals and for public programs here on the farm, which helps our staff programs with people who know the place and have a relationship with this place and really are tenders and um, keepers of this place. And they get subsidized housing in exchange for that. So it's been awesome. And those people are amazing. We've been loving working with the residents. They're rock stars. They're like young people who have varying degrees of, uh, of, relationship with um, intentional community and Judaism and mindfulness and social justice and all the things that we do here, but are excited about what we do here and really um, feel, feel excited to be a part of it. So that feels like a really great way for people to plug in, especially if they're living busy lives and um, doing great work in the world. And then the last thing that I, that I hold is our, our spring break. So this is our newest program, I think. We ran two weeks of spring break last year with um, Northwestern and NYU. They're a partnership with Hillel's. And so, yeah, we get to do all of the things we love to do in the fellowship condensed into like the juiciest, pulpiest, seven day long thing. So yeah, spring breaks are awesome. <laughs> I'm so in love with the week long model. We just like get to end at a high and we have our first 
participant from spring break who's going to be doing our fall fellowship. So that's exciting. So I don't know what else to say about spring break other than it just feels really beautiful to witness young people who are in college who are so cerebral, just like so many of our experiences of Judaism are so cerebral and watching them get to drop down into their body and into their gut and their kishkis and like integrate some of the things that they know in their head but haven't had the ability or the kind of like outlet to, to do that connection with the earth, with themselves. Um, we, I, just, I, just, I feel like I've gotten to watch so many like lights come on. So anyway, it's beautiful. Great. Well, speaking of keeping the lights on, we are going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. When we come back, we will hear from Rachel and Ari on just some of the different challenges and learning edges that have allowed them to grow as professionals. So we will be right back. This episode of Jaffa Space is brought to you by the chickens. Did you know that having roosters is illegal in most American cities because they are just too darn loud? However, their female counterparts, egg-laying hens, make for great next-door neighbors, and humans have been domesticating them for millennia to benefit from their egg production and their feathery companionship. Chicken hens like to live in groups with space to roam and hop around. If they feel safe and comfy, they can lay eggs as frequently as once a day. Plus, they love eating both garden pests and food scraps, especially watermelons and lettuce. So you can even give them your compost and they can even help keep your garden pests free. If you have space and you like eating eggs, keeping hens could be a great way to localize your food supply chain right to your backyard. And chickens are the closest living relative to the T-Rex. So with chickens in your backyard, you can almost have a real dinosaur knocking at your door come Shabbat. Next time you have some watermelon rinds, consider dropping them off at your nearest chicken coop. The chickens will thank you and you may even get an egg or two in return. Welcome back. We're with Ari and Rachel and we're talking about um, a little bit of, of what makes Urban Adama run and, and what makes these two beautiful, powerful women who they are. And so uh, just kind of diving right back in. I, I'm wondering, both of you are in the Joffe Leaders Institute. Both of you have been through fellowship programs in the Joffe space. You've sort of been raised as professionals in this community. And I think that gives you kind of a unique perspective compared to, you know, other folks who, who come in later in their careers or, or later in life. And so I'm just wondering if you could each share something along your journey that really pushed you to become the professionals that you are, maybe a learning edge that you had to, to somehow navigate through. So something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how we can move from a more transactional mode of thinking to a more relational mode of thinking. When I joined this um, organization as the program director, I, you know, a lot of my focus because of the reporting that we had to do for donors and continue to have to do today is about numbers. How many people are attending our programs? How much revenue are we bringing in? There's a lot of work that feels transactional in a way totally makes sense why it is. And I noticed myself in my body, in my mind, kind of approaching my work from that perspective solely. 
from that perspective. So I, I remember one of our events last year, I think it was, our party in the sukkah, which is an adults-only dance party in the sukkah. Um, you know, because of scheduling issues, we ended up planning it on a Thursday night when it's normally on a Saturday, and there was another competing program um, that night. And we usually have about 250 people that show up. And I remember being at the program and being totally in charge of it. And about halfway through, we weren't even at half of what we usually have in terms of number of people. And I was just totally thinking about this as a personal failure on my part. I was super upset. I couldn't see any of the people that were there enjoying their experiences because I was thinking about it in terms in this transactional way. And I remember one of our board members came up to me and asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm just super upset. I, you know, I, there aren't a lot of people here and it feels totally my fault. And I, and I feel like the event is not a success. And, you know, he said to me, Ari, I just witnessed three people, two of which had never been here before, one of which was a past fellow, connect in a way that I hadn't seen in a long time. They had a like very long conversation, which I've been observing. And, and the one who was a fellow invited the other two on a tour around the farm to introduce them to the different components. That is the way that you should be thinking about success. You need to expand your metrics for evaluating how much community building is happening and, and how successful your programs are. And I think this, to this day, this continues to be a growing edge for me. It's both in terms of the way we do our programs and the way we do our like justice work, right? How do we think about not how many people are coming to farm stand, but the connections that are being made at the farm stand. Um, how can we measure success as Jaffe professionals that's not in a transactional way? And I think that this is a question that I continue to engage with on a daily basis, and I have to push myself to, to kind of confront. And I think as, as part of the Jaffe Leaders Institute, one of the things we did is we kind of assessed what type of leader we are. And, and, and some information that I got from that is I have a lot of room to grow in terms of thinking creatively about how to measure the success of my programs. And it's been really helpful for me to constantly come back to that question and remind myself that Urban Adama is successful because of the relational work that we're doing. And, and I just have to remind myself of that. That's beautiful. Rachel, why don't you, why don't you hop in there? I really appreciated the, the part of your question about the forming, like what, what experience helped form us. And I think the, the thing that I've struggled with primarily is really trusting my voice and stepping into my power. I have a lot to give and I have a lot to say and I think being socialized as a woman in uh, an orthodox world left me quite in doubt of myself and so it's been a process for me to step into my power and I wasn't going to apply to the fellowship director position when Chloe who who was my predecessor was stepping back I I was watching all these people applying and I was hearing conversations going on in the office and I I always really admired Chloe's work and I really loved, I used to come in and teach some of the Jewish agricultural classes to the fellows and always really loved doing that. And it never occurred to me that I could be that person. And I remember actually calling Yosh and having a conversation with him and saying, do you think that I could do that? Like, should I be the fellowship director? Should I apply for the job? And we had a really great conversation. And I also you know, I was weighing other things like being less out in the fields. I really love being out 
with my hands on the soil with the kids. And I, and I knew that taking this job would mean that I was stepping back and becoming more of an administrator. And anyway, I decided to apply and there were a lot of people who applied for the job. And I remember actually the, it came down to me and some very esteemed rabbi. Those were the two candidates. And I, and I got the job and I, and I couldn't believe I got the job. Like when Adam called me in to his office to tell me, I li I really didn't know what he was going to say. And so the process of me stepping into that work has been tremendously edgy for me. And I just continue to like, just, I just continue to like show up with compassion for myself and, and tenderness and, and with honesty with the fellows, I, I just try to be really transparent with them about where I'm at and what I'm struggling with. One of the biggest pieces of what I've been learning is what it looks like to be a mentor, especially a peer mentor. In a lot of ways, I'm the same age and at the same place as a lot of these people and asking some of the same questions. And so it's been amazing to really learn that mentorship isn't knowing everything and it's not showing up with all the answers. Mentorship is listening, it's clarifying, it's mirroring back, it's asking good questions, and and it's also like believing in people and and reminding them. Our, our new associate director Ayela, she's amazing. She really likes to talk about a strengths-based approach. So I love remind or help invite people into really dwelling in what they're good at. And I've actually found a lot of success in in being able to really put my ego down and remind myself that none of this is about me. It's really about them and there's there's just so much more growth that gets to happen when I remove myself um, and it's just been such a joy to watch young people challenge their assumptions and really like think critically about the world we're living in I mean we see this great unraveling and the great turning Joanna Macy talks about um, the um, inventor of the work that reconnects she talks about this moment in time about that and she calls it the great turning and that we're seeing that business as usual isn't working and um, there's an unraveling going on and there's also a, a turning of really imagining new ways of doing things and remembering old ways of doing things. And so it's been such a joy to watch young people on their journey of arriving at all, all that's possible and, and the ways that they can be resilient in the world, even in a world that's full of like climate grief and human rights grief and all of the other painful, painful things that we see, uh, we get to be a place of joy and imagination. And I think that's part of what our special sauce is at Urban Adama. And, and in the Jaffu space, if we choose, if we choose it to be, we get to help um, imagine new ways of doing things. And, and that's what we need. We need, we need new ways and we need old ways to be remembered. And so, and it, that just continues to be, um, a lesson that I, I come back to and, and hold as part of the way I, I show up as a mentor. One of my favorite questions to ask them is, what kind of elder do you want to be? I love asking our fellows that. What kinds of parts of themselves do they want to cultivate so that they can arrive at their old age and have something to give and have perspective? I love that. I've done exercises, sort of visioning exercises before of imagining your whole life trajectory from here to your deathbed and sort of that really intense, powerful question of like, who do you see there and what are they talking about? And I love this is a, a similar but slightly different sort of version of that, of, of thinking, yeah, who, 
what kind of elder do you want to be? I love that question. I think also some of what you're talking about in this sort of Joanna Macy and the great turning and the need that we have for ecological modalities of thinking and the sort of grounding in your strengths through your work and that the self-awareness of your strengths and then thinking about the ecosystems that we create as organization as as organizations and as professionals and thinking about when you're in on a you know diverse polycultural farm right or in the woods or where have you right you don't have you don't have like the bumblebee who's going and like talking to the butterfly and getting all sad about oh you know like butterfly you're so good at this and I'm bad at right like they're just doing the things that they're like born to be doing right and um and so I, I think we can sort of take some inspiration from how we might at least uh perceive not you know I don't actually know what a bumblebee, bumblebee thinks I'm projecting but I don't think that they have the same sort of uh, psychological issues that humans tend to. Speaking of ecological thinking, though, um, you know, I think the, I was thinking earlier when you mentioned Paya and thinking about um, some of the different sort of, you know, Mishnaic and Talmudic resources there, or sources on that, um, and thinking just about we're in a th this third great turning for the world, but um, other folks talk about this sort of third turning for Judaism and Jewish practice as well. Um, and I think a lot of what you're talking about here is thinking, okay, we had temple and land-based Judaism. We moved into rabbinic Judaism for the last 2000 years. And now we're moving into something different and we're all creating that as we go. Uh, and, and, you know, here in the Jaffe field, we're all a part of that. So as we move into our final few minutes, speaking of gathering the Jaffe field, we have our Jaffe network gathering coming up. It is starting literally at Urban Anaba on Friday, August 30th with the Urban Adama experience, and then continuing on in y'all's backyard at Walker Creek Ranch. So love to hear from you. What are some of the things that you are particularly excited about for this year's network gathering and also especially for folks who are uh, wanting to come and check out Urban Anima as well as the Bay Area and just like what's happening in general what are some things that people should just be expecting? Thanks Yoshi. I would say if you are thinking about coming to the Urban Adama Experience, think no more, because the answer is yes. The Urban Adama Experience on Friday is the premier way to find out about the amazing work that we're doing here. Rachel and I are going to be leading some sessions, uh, one together on anti-Semitism and white supremacy, and then a bunch of sessions individually. We have some amazing educators that are going to be teaching on you know, I'm teaching a class on how to build a Jaffe immersive experience, anything from that to actually getting to work on the farm throughout the entire day. If all you want to do is have your hands in the soil, that is an option from farm to table cooking, learning about how to build a spiritual avodat lev. The offerings are really like for every type of person who could want to um, arrive at Urban Adama. So I feel really excited about this day. I feel immensely proud of the space where we work and the people we work with and the things that we're doing. And we really are just going to be able to showcase it with everyone. The entire day will also kind of model the arc of the Urban Adama journey that we take people on when they come here. So there'll be moments for connecting with people you don't know, for singing, for getting your hands in the soil, for eating together, saying blessings together. It's really going to be 
a, the perfect kickoff to a weekend to be able to make some personal connections with people who you don't know. So I feel really excited about that. And this will actually, you know, for the amount of time I've been around, this is going to be my first Jaffe Network gathering. So I feel excited to, to go to Walker Creek Ranch and to spend the weekend with everyone. Another part of what I'm excited about, Ari's really holding the that program and uh, a bunch of staff here is coming in to support in a educational way. We, we're really wanting to, we do a lot of work with youth and we're really excited to offer two or three options at each session for ways to connect in with kids and the ways that we do that here. So just for all of those educators out there, I'm excited to, to learn with you all and to kind of like do the activity and, to, and then to step back and talk about the pedagogy and the approach. Something I'm really looking forward to this year at the Jaffe Network Gathering is that Rabbi Dev and Ariel Lucky are coming in to run a session. I think they're calling it Jews on Ohlone Land. And I'm really excited about what they're bringing. I think we've been asking the question, different people at points have been asking the question, what does it mean for us as Jews in this place to be designing and um, facilitating experiences for connection to land when we are on native soil. And um, the reason that the native soil question is so important is because there's a history of genocide and violence that actually co continues to this day. And, and we don't really talk about it. And it, it really is as clear to me as that. There's, there's been a genocide here in this country and, um, and, and the, whole, the whole society that we live on really, really sits on the back of that history. And we're afraid to talk about it and the implications of talking about it feel scary. And the way that Rabbi Dev and Ariel Lucky share about it really is, is um, is so rooted in compassion and without guilt. I, I, I bring Rabbi Devin to do this session in the fellowship and they, they hold it so beautifully and fellows really love and, and actually have amazing things to say about this session, coming in with fear and leaving with a lot of gratitude. And so I'm excited to be exploring the work that's being done here in the Bay Area with um, the, this national community so that hopefully folks can go back and do this kind of work in their own communities. And um, yeah, we'll be asking the question, what does it look like to share the history of, of Native communities? What does it look like to own the fact that we're on somebody else's ancestral land and to do that with integrity? How can we build relationships with Native communities and support them in the work that they're doing? And what does it mean for us as Jews to be in relationship with land? What are the texts that help frame our own orientation with land? So it's a way for us to be, to be in integrity with our work and to be, um, to be diasporic Jews with, um, with a real compassion and connection with the, the communities that our, that our work might impact and, and to lay groundwork for partnership. So I'm, I'm really excited about that session. And although it's just one piece, I really have high, high hopes that it'll, it'll plant some beautiful seeds. And um, I'm really excited to share with anybody who's wanting to hear more about the ways that Urban Anima has been building relationships with the Native community here. And um, we're paying a land tax to a women uh, led land um, cooperative called Shumi Land Tax um, in a way to support Native communities who don't have access to um, national recognition. 
to, to they're, they're not they're not seen they're not recognized as a as a nation and um, are therefore not, don't have access to land so yeah excited to explore that together Urban Adamaa Experience Day and what we're carrying into Jopping Network Gathering as a whole is just, it feels so seamless. We have arrived at this moment and our community is responding. And so, you know, we might not have the answers. To show up to Jopping Network Gathering this year is an acknowledgement that you're going to show up and we're going to grapple with this together. And Rachel, you said that um, that you thought that maybe it was just that session that uh, Rabbi Dev and and folks we're going to be leading, and it's actually not. Um, we have an affinity group that will also be meeting on um, land usage and indigeneity and, and how we're kind of grappling with all of these questions of land usage that uh, you spoke to so eloquently. So there's really a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack and a lot going on in network gathering, and you've been a huge part of, of making that happen. So I think to, to sign it off, we'll just say, how do we find you guys? I just want to add one more thing about the place that we're gathering at Walker Creek, Creek Ranch. I believe it's um, Coast Miwok land. And I know that at the entrance of that land, there are old acorn processing rocks. And so I just want to invite anybody who arrives to look out for beautiful stone that has bowls in it and to imagine um, generations and generations and generations of native women standing and processing acorns for hours at those rocks and that all of those bowls that we see in the rocks right at the entranceway to walker creek were were made from pounding acorns and processing acorns which was a core part of the diet of the native communities that lived all along the coast and into the sierras here in what is now called california and with that imagining, we can bring them with us on our journey. I actually didn't know that. So thank you for sharing. Well, I, I actually feel the need to just pause for a moment and let, and let all of this sit in. I think, I think one of the beauties of the podcast experience that I've really come to enjoy over the last five weeks is the spaciousness of conversation. And that by hosting these conversations, we really get a chance to speak and to be heard. And I think you all have shared some really beautiful wisdom today. And I just want to thank you for that. And, and thank you for showing up. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for calling us in. Great. Every time someone invites me to talk about my work, I feel like re-inspired and reconnected. So it's always a gift. That's awesome. Well, thank you all. We'll ask you in a moment to sign off where we can find you. But yeah, I think, again, being part of these conversations, and I think Jaffe Network Gathering is a place for us to gather in person and have these conversations. But I think, like Hannah said, I think the way that we're, we are figuring out ways for the conversations to not just begin and end at every year's network gathering, but to continue throughout the year in ways that we're all doing our various work in all of our different places, but to have that connectivity and to have these rich conversations continuing. And I think, like Hannah said, we're, we're reaching this sort of tipping point where there is a level of synergy across the field and across all of our work, which can be both similar, but has all of its different all of its differences, but that I think we're all, yeah, we're all really, really feeling. And so um, 
thank you all for being part of that conversation. And we hope that for all of you who are listening, um, that this has been a way for you to get into that conversation. And one more plug, come to Jaffe Network Gathering. Uh, it literally won't be the same conversation without your voice as part of it. So with that, where can we find you on the internet? Both of our um, contact and bios are on the Urban Adama website, urbanadama.org. Facebook, Instagram, great, at Urban Adama, right? Pretty straightforward. Uh, well, again, thank you all so much. That's it for this week's episode. Catch us all at Jaffe Network Gathering. Thanks, Yoshi and Hannah. Jaffe programs are made possible by a growing web of staff, participants, volunteers, lay leaders, donors, organizations, institutions, and foundations. In particular, our national Jaffe work at Chazon is made possible by funding from the Jim Joseph Foundation. This podcast was produced by Yoshi Silverstein and Hannah Henza. It was edited by Leora Nevins and distributed by the Chazon marketing team. To learn more, check out the show notes, visit our website at hazone.org slash Joffe, that's J-O-F-E-E, and be in touch.